Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Pastor Aaron, and I am the youth pastor and online campus pastor here at Bentonville Community Church. And we are so glad to have each and every one of you here with us. Uh, I want to say just a quick word and of welcome to those of you that may be new with us today. Uh, we want to say uh, hello, and we would love to get to know you better um, and have record of your visit. And so there's a connection card if you're here physically. Uh, there's a connection card in a seat somewhere nearby you, um, and there should be a way to fill that out connected with a pen. Uh, we would love to have record of your visit and just get to know you a little bit better. We want to serve you. We want to, to pray alongside you. So if you take a moment and fill that out, and then there are offering baskets at the back of the room. Uh, if you would uh, fill that out, place it in the offering basket at the back of the room, uh, then we can get in contact with you and share some information with you there. Uh, if you're online with us today, I want to say a word of welcome to you as well. Um, there is a, an online moderator uh, who happens to be my wife today, so um, everybody be nice to her. But uh, So uh, she's, she's there, and she will direct you to an online digital connection card that you can connect there as well. As a continuation of worship, we have an opportunity to give back to God what he has given to us through our tithes and our offerings. And so uh, we would invite you to take advantage of those baskets at the back of the room if you're here physically and want to give a physical gift. Um, or you can utilize our secure online giving portal, um, and you can find that at communitynwa.church, and uh, click on Give, and it'll take you uh, where you need to go to do that. Or if you're online... Um, my wife will direct you uh, in that direction as well. So thank you all for being here. Uh, how many of you are like me? And, um, you know, you get to this weekend every year, Labor Day weekend, and there's, there's really just one thing on my mind, and that is the start of the college football season. Um, okay, yeah, one hand back there. Okay, this, just me and you, Joe. I think it's just me, it's just me and you. Um, no, I, I, think, I think most of us uh, uh, in the room can, can understand, or, or maybe you know somebody that, that marks this weekend on their, on their calendar. Um, and full disclosure, um, I'm, I'm, I just, I, we're talking about grace, so I'm going to need you all to have a little bit of grace on me today. I am a Texas Longhorns fan, and the stage is set for next week. I'm just saying, there's a lot of groaning in the room, gnashing of teeth. Um, I don't know, we just need to pray, I guess. No, it's okay. Uh, but I'm excited. I love college football, and I love that it just kind of, I know it was really hot this weekend, uh, but it kind of begins to usher in fall, and it begins to uh, maybe feel a little bit more that way in my spirit. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, next weekend, but, but just had a great day being able to enjoy uh, some of the things that, that really, quite honestly, uh, I've missed uh, and, and, and need in my, in my life these days. Pastor Mark asked me to speak a couple of months ago, and, and, and I said yes, of course. And um, as, as it came down to it, I didn't realize how crazy life was going to be this week, specifically. Um, and so things have been a little bit crazy for me uh, personally, but I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to have uh, the opportunity to speak on this journey of grace. We started a couple of weeks ago with uh, this idea of prevenient grace. And this is the idea that grace, the grace of God goes before us. Like it goes before us, out in front of us, even before we accept Christ as our Savior. There's this grace that goes out before us. It's a pretty cool idea, pretty cool concept. But then last week we talked about saving grace. And saving grace is that moment, and it's probably the kind of grace that most of us are, are most familiar with. 
It's this grace that, that comes and it washes away our sin. When we don't deserve it, when we come before Jesus and we say, Lord, I recognize you as, as Savior of my life and I want you to, to cleanse me of my sins. It's, that's the grace of saving grace. And this week we're going to be talking a little bit more about sanctifying grace. And we'll get into some of that and we'll talk about what that um, looks like. And I'm sure by now, hopefully, you can tell maybe by the graphics, maybe by the sermons, whatever it might, might be, but, but this journey of grace is truly a journey. It's truly a journey. It's not a moment in time. It's not a, uh, it's not a sprint. It is not um, something that goes real fast. It is a journey. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What comes to your mind when you hear that word journey? What comes to your mind when you hear the word journey? For some of you, maybe there's these images of airplanes and highways and back roads that come to mind. Or maybe for others of you, it's like a hike in the woods somewhere, an adventure. Um, for some of you, it looks uh, maybe like, uh, maybe you think of the band journey. I don't know. Whatever it might be, uh, maybe that's what you think of. Um, just don't stop believing, okay? I just don't want you guys to Sorry, that's a bad dad joke. Sorry, that's all right. Please forgive me. No, whatever comes to your mind, uh, I just want us to think about this, this, this picture that we have behind me. This is, this is a journey. There's a road, right? And it's winding. It's not straight. It's not linear. And, and journeys are rarely linear, and it's no different with our faith. This past summer, uh, this, the you as this local church granted Pastor Diane and myself a sabbatical. And I, I want to just say, I can't thank you enough for that gesture of, of generosity. Um, and um, I, I appreciate that. And, and it was an awesome time to be able to, to take a step back, um, to, to recharge a little bit, to refresh with my family, um, and to spend some time with the Lord. And I, I'm very thankful and grateful uh, for this local congregation that allowed uh, myself and Pastor Diane to do that. And on my sabbatical, I was able to spend time with my family, and I was able to travel. And uh, my family and I, so, so my wife and kids and, and myself, we, we went to a couple of places, but uh, we went to Utah. And in Utah, we had an awesome time. Carly's uh, sister lives in Salt Lake City, and they're church planners there, and they do some amazing work for the Lord. Um, and so we were there, but we got to experience more than just Salt Lake City. We, we were able to borrow their car, and we drove down to Moab, and we got to do uh, Canyonlands National Park. And I have a photo here of, of my family at, at Canyonlands. And um, let me just tell you, um, this photo, we look really happy. Um, and um, I, let me just tell you this. My kids are pretty amazing. Like, they can turn on a smile like that, even if they are like in the middle of having a, a, just an awful time. You say, you pull out a camera, you say smile. They'll stop whining and crying for a second. They'll smile and you snap the picture and they go right back to, to that. I'm sure nobody in this room can relate to that. I just wanted you to know um, that's, that's our struggle. But no, this, we look really happy in this picture and we were. Um, but let me just tell you, God's creation is absolutely incredible. God's creation is absolutely incredible. I, I, we stood at the rim of this canyon, and as we stood there, it doesn't even look real. 
It doesn't even look real. I had this same feeling growing up. My family and I, we took a trip to the Grand Canyon, and I felt the same way staring out of the Grand Canyon. You just look out, and you're like, this, there's no way that what I'm looking at is real. And I had this, this feeling at Canyonlands National Park. Um, and the reason I say we look happy is because we were on this journey. It really was a journey to get there. It was a journey to get there because, uh, as I said, we borrowed my sister-in-law's car. And as we were going down, all of a sudden, we got almost there. Um, and the air conditioner stopped working. Um, and it was like, I don't know, it was 100-plus degrees outside. But not only did the air conditioner stop working, it's not like the air conditioner just stopped blowing. Like the heater turned on and the defrost turned on full blast and you couldn't turn it off. It was, we rolled down the windows and it was just a blast furnace. It was, uh, quite honestly, it was pretty miserable. Uh, but, uh, but we made it and we were able to, to take in Canyonlands. It was pretty awesome. The views were amazing. And uh, the next... The next day, we were able to go and check out Arches National Park, which is just down the road uh, from Canyonlands, which is kind of amazing that there's these two national parks literally almost right next door to each other, like 20 miles apart. And so here's a picture of our family at, at one of the arches. And man, it was so much fun. And it was just really neat being able to see God's creation. And there was all kinds of little trails and places you could hike and, and all of that. But, but some of this is what comes to mind for us whenever we think about a journey. As we went on throughout sabbatical, our kids, we came back home, they went to camp, and, and, and that was amazing, that was great. And I understand that was a journey to get to kids' camp too. But then there was this other journey that I took at the end of my sabbatical, and I knew that I wanted to get away. I knew that I wanted to, to, to experience something, just me and God, just be alone with God for a little while. And so um, I thought in my mind, I was thinking, I'll get an Airbnb. Uh, maybe, maybe just out, I don't know, maybe, maybe Branson, I don't, that, that sounds good. And then all of a sudden I got this deal that came across for a very affordable flight to Alaska. So that's what I did. Um, and I went to Alaska and it was absolutely incredible. And I have a photo here of, of one of the, this is at, towards the top of one of my hikes that I took uh, in Alaska. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful, and, and it was a journey <laughs> to get there. It was uh, starts and stops, and uh, I rented a car, and I didn't know where I was going. Um, and in the interior of Alaska, there's not a lot of cell phone service. Um, there's not a lot of GPS kind of things. So I went past the place I was supposed to go a couple times. I had to backtrack and go back. And there was one time I was on a trail and hiking around, and I felt sure I was on the right trail, and I was not. Um, so I had to turn back, and it was a journey. It was a process. But I'll tell you this. When I got there, when I got to Alaska, it was maybe one of the most spontaneous things I've ever done in my life. I booked my flight on a Tuesday and left on a Saturday to go to Alaska. There was not a lot of planning that went into it. It was mainly just, I want to get away, and I want to be alone with God somewhere in creation. And so that's, that's what I did, and one thing that I learned on this journey was that things are very rarely linear in this journey. And I mentioned that a moment ago, but things are very rarely linear in a journey. There are starts and there's stops, there's backtracks, and there's all sorts of things that can happen between point A and point B. There's a lot of things that happen between point A and point B. And our journey of faith is no different. 
Our journey of faith and grace is no different than that kind of journey. We, we find all kinds of starts. There's things that happen. God starts something inside of us. He stirs inside of us. And there's kind of stops and there's points that we come to that we're like, ah, God, where are you? There's backtracking and maybe sometimes we come backwards in our journey of faith. And sometimes we get stuck in a loop, right? Just like maybe sometimes you get stuck in that roundabout in Rogers. You know what I'm talking about? You guys, okay. Okay. Maybe just me. I'm just the one that circles around that thing. No, we get stuck in this loop sometimes. And that's this journey of grace. That's this journey of grace. And that's where I want to start today. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it up. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to look at a little bit of chapter 1 and chapter 2. If you haven't read the book of Acts, uh, I encourage you to read it. There There is a lot of stuff that happens in the book of Acts. That's important. But it'll also encourage you in your faith. It'll also encourage you to see the way that God moved in the early church, to see the things that he did in and through people. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time there in Acts uh, this morning. And uh, Pastor Chad read a little bit of Acts chapter 2, but I'm going to go back to chapter 1 for just a moment. Um, And there's a lot of things that happen uh, quickly, but I want to go back to Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 10. And it says this, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. I know there's more to verse 10, but I want to stop right there. And I want us to just take a moment and imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to be there, to receive this last instruction from God, and to watch him ascend into heaven. And I picture myself, you know, they're looking up and they're re- literally, they're just watching until... He's gone from view, and they can no longer see him. And I want you to imagine what that must have been like to be the disciples. He gives them this charge. and says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Holy Spirit's going to do something amazing. And then he's just going, and, and you're looking up, and you're like, oh, my goodness. And I can only put myself in that position, and I can only imagine what that must have been like. And for myself, I can only imagine that I would be thinking, what now? What now? I've just devoted the last three years plus of my life to following this man. And there was one time where they crucified him and he was gone. And I was, you know, I thought he was going to be gone then. But then he came back and he was here with us and now he's gone again. So what now? What now? But we have these moments too, don't we? Don't we have these moments in our journey of faith, in our journey of grace, where maybe maybe this journey we've we've experienced the saving grace of God, and we've we've come to this moment where we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and we get up and we're just left saying, that was awesome, but what now? What now? See, there's this temptation to hit the default button when we encounter that 
experience, when we encounter that feeling. And what I mean by that is that we tend to go to our comfort zone. We tend to go back to whatever it is that's familiar, whatever it is that feels like it's normal, because we don't know what to do next. We don't know what to do next. And, And we see examples of this in Scripture, too. We're not the only ones that struggle with maybe hitting the default button. But if you turn backwards, just maybe one or two pages in Scripture, we go to John chapter 21, and we read this story about something that happens after the resurrection. Peter is there, and he's experiencing um, some guilt. He's experiencing some, some, some feelings of like this what now kind of feeling, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he hits the default button, and he says, you know what? I'm going fishing. Because what do I know how to do? I know how to fish. And that's all I know how to do, so that's what I'm going back to do. He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to doing what he was doing before Jesus said, come follow me. See, Peter was experiencing what I call the gap. There's a gap between that moment where we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and really the end of our lives. And it feels like this big gap, and it's intimidating. It's an intimidating gap to be staring at because there's all kinds of what now questions. There's all kinds of what now questions in that gap. And Peter is left struggling and wrestling with those. The gap is is between where we were and where God is calling us to. Between where we were and where God is calling us to. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for each of us, and much, if not all of that plan, is impossible for us on our own. It's impossible for us on our own to get to that place. And so it's intimidating, and we don't know what to do. We're left to wrestle with the what now question because we feel inadequate. We feel inadequate like we're, like we're not enough to be able to make it there. And I have a confession for you this morning. We're, we're, we're sitting here and we're singing these songs, and I'm so thankful for uh, Pastor Chad and the worship team uh, and the tech team. They, they do such a great job every week of leading us into God's presence. And as I, was, as I was worshiping and as I was taking a moment, we're singing that song, uh, you know, we're singing, Will You Meet Me Here Again? And I couldn't help but think about what I was about to say and the gap that we experience and asking God to meet us in the gap. Why? Because we're not enough. I can't do it on my own. I can't do this thing on my own. I can't get to where God wants me to go on my own power. See, I'm not able to be the kind of father, the kind of husband, the kind of friend, the kind of neighbor, or the kind of leader that God has asked me to be, has called me to be on my own power. I can't get there. Even though Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and he's redeemed my story, and I'm grateful for that saving grace in my life. I can't get there on my own. I can't just will myself to be what God has called me to be. I have to invite the Holy Spirit in. 
have to invite the Holy Spirit in to do some deep work in my heart. And that is where we find sanctifying grace. That's where we find sanctifying grace. But I'm not able to do it on my own. And so what do we do? We hit the default button. Because what God is asking of us seems impossible. So we just go backwards. What is your default button this morning? What's your comfort zone? Where is the place that you tend to go back to when things get difficult? What are the habits, what are the activities that you go back to? And as I mentioned, this this gap, I mean, there's a lot of things happening here. But this is exactly the place where we experience sanctifying grace. This is where sanctifying grace comes in. We recognize that on our own, we cannot become who God has called us to be or do what God has called us to do. So sanctifying grace is the grace that comes when we surrender those parts of ourselves to God and allow him to begin to work in us and begin to refine us and begin to smooth us out. To begin to smooth us out. I know some of you here in this room are probably familiar with, with some kind of woodworking in some way. And uh, I, I'm by no means an expert carpenter or anything of the sort. Um, but I do enjoy woodworking from time to time. And, and there's something about it that, that there's one part of it that I really just don't enjoy. I like making the cuts. I like seeing it come together. I absolutely hate sanding. I hate sanding and I hate, like, it's, it's messy and you breathe it in and I'm like, you know, it's, it's just not a pleasant experience for me. I don't enjoy it. It makes a mess in the garage. Like, I feel like it's everywhere. It's all over everything. But if I didn't sand this wood that I'm working on, if I didn't sand it down, if I didn't make it smooth, the final product is not going to be very good. Because you see, it's not going to take the paint or the stain maybe the same way that it would if I would make sure that all the rough edges are smoothed out. And this is exactly like the sanctifying grace of God. It comes in and it smooths out those imperfections. It smooths those things out and and it helps us to become more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that begins to do a deep work in us and continue the transformation process that began with God's saving grace. Remember, grace is a journey, not just a moment. Transformation isn't just a moment. It certainly can be. I'm not saying it can't be. But more often than not, reality paints a picture of us that looks like transformation is a process. And it takes place over a period of time. I, I think about, when I think about transformation, I, I, I can't help but think about the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly. I can't help but think about that because they, they're two totally different things. Yet one transforms into the other. But that process doesn't just happen. It's not like overnight. It's a process of days and weeks. 
they have to eat a lot, and then they have to make this cocoon, and then all of a sudden, like, literally, if you break open a cocoon, it's just goo inside. Like, there is literally, like, just transformational things happening inside of that cocoon. It's a journey to get from point A to point B. Many times we have this expectation that there is a moment of transformation and that's it. We, maybe we make a decision at an altar or we, we pray a prayer in our heart and we have this moment. And that's certainly true. There are moments and points of interest along the journey. But it doesn't end there. We keep going. We keep going. See, sanctification is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. Like, if you want to boil it down, it's a big churchy word, and I understand that, but but sanctification is really just this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more like him, and less and less like ourselves. The process of sanctification is a process to where we want when people look at us that they don't see us, that they see Jesus. Last weekend, we had, a, we had a meeting with our church board and our staff, and at that meeting, uh, one of our board members, John Coleman, he, he shared uh, something about his dad, Jim, and many of you uh, knew Jim, or maybe you've heard his name, um, but Jim was just like the most amazing guy. He would do anything for anybody. He was the sweetest man. And John just shared that his spirit, as his life went on, just became more and more sweet as years went by. And the reason for that is because Jim knew sanctifying grace. He knew what sanctifying grace was. He allowed sanctifying grace to smooth him out. He allowed sanctifying grace to go over those rough edges to make him a more finished product. See, many of you knew Jim, and and, and you could probably testify that, that he was continually experiencing sanctifying grace. It allowed him to become more and more Christ like because he surrendered himself to the work of the Holy Spirit to do the things in himself that he could not do. Anyone that spent any kind of time with Jim could see that there was something different about him. There was a kindness and a gentleness to him that just continued to grow and grow. Just when you thought he couldn't get any more kind, he did something. And this is the kind of example of sanctifying grace that I want us to have in our minds. We're certainly thankful for that example this morning. But there's this gap that, that Peter and the other disciples are experiencing, and really it, it all comes to a head in the upper room, in the upper room at Pentecost. And, and this is all found in Acts chapter 2. As the disciples gathered together and they prayed, they began to experience the power of sanctifying grace in their lives. You see, this wasn't the the first time that they had been in this situation. After Jesus was crucified, they're just 
scared because they don't know what's going to happen. They're having that what's, not, what's next question. And they're gathered together in that room, and Jesus shows up in the middle of them. But now here they are again, and Jesus is gone again. And they don't know what to do, but they know enough to know that they need to pray. They know enough to know that they've been with Jesus enough to say, okay, let's pray. So they spend time in this upper room and they're praying, and this is where the Holy Spirit moves in in a powerful way. Scripture tells us that it comes in like a rushing wind. It breaks into that space and that these tongues of fire settle on their heads. And it's just a pretty awesome picture of what the Holy Spirit does in that moment. But they went from a group of people thinking, what now or what's next, to boldly preaching to the crowds that had gathered. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, I'm just going to read a portion of it here, and it just says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is a bold moment. This is a bold move because literally a couple of pages earlier, a couple of months earlier, he was the guy saying, I'm going fishing. I'm out of here. I'm hitting the default button. I'm going back. And here, just a couple of months later, if you look at the timeline, just a couple of months later after that moment, we see Peter boldly proclaiming the word of God. And by the end of his address, 3,000 others are added to their number. In other words, 3,000 people came to salvation as a result of Peter boldly proclaiming the gospel. The same guy that was running away, the same guy that we look at, and up to this point in Scripture, if we look at his, the accounts of the Gospels, he's that friend that you're always really nervous when he opens his mouth. You guys know who I'm talking about. You all have those people, right? You're always, it's always the person that's in your Facebook feed that you come across their name and you're like, ooh, what are they going to say? That's Peter up to this point. Peter, up to this point, has, has not been the kind of guy that you necessarily want to get up in front of a huge crowd of people and proclaim this message because you don't know what he's going to say. But because of the sanctifying grace that's at work, because of the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit that comes in that moment in the upper room, it has smoothed out the rough edges on Peter. And from that moment on, we see a different perspective. We see a different, a different thing about Peter. He doesn't look like the same person. He becomes this leader in the church. He leads this movement. He continues this movement that Jesus started. And, and, and we, together, we are beneficiaries of that movement today in this room. It's a pretty amazing story. But it's all because they surrendered in that gap. There was the gap between saving grace and the end of their lives. And they, they chose to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and work sanctifying grace out. You see, the gap is where we learn our need for the Holy Spirit, and it's continuing work on our journey. And there's three things that I want to talk about. There's, there's, there's 
there's three places where, that we have to come to terms with inside the gap. And the first one is this. We have to, we have to come to, to terms with the past. We all have a past, and oftentimes it leaves us with baggage, with wounds, and with all kinds of default settings. When we make a move toward accepting sanctifying grace, we turn over our past to God so that we don't stay stuck there, so that we don't stay in that loop of just repeating over and over. Sanctifying grace is where we accept responsibility for our own sins instead of blaming everyone else or everything else. That's what it looks like to turn over your past. Is that's the fruit of sanctifying grace as you begin to accept responsibility for your own actions. God is able to take that story and, and begin to mold it and shape it. But the gap is where we also come to terms with the present. And I'll be honest, this is a loaded part of self-reflection. This is a loaded part of self-reflection that means looking at our shame, our guilt, our ego, and our arrogance. It's reckoning with our preferences and demands, our prejudices and our biases. It's owning our fears and self-deceit. Coming to terms with our present reality means identifying our reluctance to embrace the fullness of God's work that he wants to do in us. It means renouncing our allegiances and ideologies, political platforms and idolatries that run counter to God's kingdom at work in our lives. This is not easy. Because you see, there's two narratives that, this, that are competing here. There's the dominant culture, there's the dominant narrative that, that we see play out all around us, and most of us have been raised in this dominant culture, and there's some things that it says, but then there's the narrative of God that runs counter to that narrative. And what sanctifying grace does is it helps us to let go of the dominant narrative, or open our hands to the and say, Lord, I want you to take this, I want you to replace it with your narrative. I want you to replace it. I want you to refine me. I want you to take my political ideologies and my things that maybe I hold on to really tightly and I want you to mold them and I want you to shape them to look more and more like your idolatries or your, your, um, the, the things that you have in store for me. I don't want it to look like my stuff. I don't want it to look like the world's stuff. I want it to look like your stuff. I want when other people look at me, I don't want them to see me as a Republican or a Democrat. I don't want them to look at me and see me as somebody that stands for this and not for this. Instead, I want them to look at me and see that I stand for you. That's difficult to do. Because we all have opinions. We all have preferences. And I'm not saying that you won't have preferences or opinions or anything like that. But what I am saying is that when we hold those things like this instead of like this, God can take those things, he can smooth them out. And he can make them look like he wants them to look. This gap is also where we come to terms with our future. For many of us, we 
accept Jesus and we hand over the story of our lives to Jesus so that he can save us from our sins, so that he can be the redeemer. But then we neglect to hand him the pen so that he can finish the rest of the story. We hand over our past, we hand over that story because we need that and we recognize our need for that, but ah, there's something about control. Something about control. We want control. The work in the gap means that we hand over the pen to Jesus and he scripts our story and every line that follows. Coming to terms with the future means that we are willing to enter the kind of relationship with God where we take our cues from him. It's a posture of malleability, willingly formed and transformed in an ongoing manner. God's sanctifying grace is ongoing. It's a continuation. It's every day refining and refining and refining and getting smoother and smoother. That's what sanctifying grace looks like. See, Jesus becomes not only the redeemer of our story, but also the Lord of what comes next. Not only does he redeem the past, but he becomes the Lord of our future. This gap is a space of radical surrender. It's a space of radical surrender. It's a space of surrender of control of things that we cringe to release control of. It's where we get out of the driver's seat of our lives and let God drive instead. And some of you in this room, you've, maybe you've taught a teenager how to drive, or some of you, maybe you're in the process of teaching a teenager how to drive. If that's you, God bless you, and be praying for you. But maybe you know what that moment is like to get out of the driver's seat, to relinquish control to someone else. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. Now, don't hear me equating God to a teenager learning to drive. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But, but that release of control is the same. It's a tough feeling. It's hard to let go of control because we want to steer everything. We want to steer the direction of our lives. We want to steer, we want to make things happen. The reality is that when we steer our lives, we end up back at the default. We end up backwards. We end up going back because it's comfortable, because it's what we know, because we can't do it on our own. We have to get out of the driver's seat. We have to surrender and release control to God. Self-sacrifice is not easy. It's not easy. We long for control of our story because we want to prepare and we want to know what's coming. We want to be able to go back to the default if we need to. Or if things get too scary, we want to be able to go back there. I just want to go fishing. I can't handle all this right now. I'm just going to go fishing. And here's the thing about handing over control, like, like the Holy Spirit isn't going to just wrestle control away from you. And that's not how God works. God makes an invitation and says, here, let, let me do that. Let me take control. But he's not going to push you out of the driver's seat. He's going to wait for you to relinquish control 
on your own. He makes an invitation for us to surrender for something better, not necessarily easier, but something better. And that means Christ-likeness. That means seeing Christ-likeness become more and more in your life. It means surrendering your own control, your own thoughts, your own ambitions to God and saying, okay, Lord, it's yours. And when we do that, that is when sanctifying grace works. That is when sanctifying grace moves in and it begins to rearrange priorities. It begins to shake things up. I can only imagine that that's what happened in the upper room. I don't have record. I don't know exactly what the disciples prayed specifically. But I have a good hunch that that Peter and the disciples, as they gathered together, that they said, God, I don't know what's next. But I know that I'm not in control. We need you to move. Can't do it on my own. That is when the Holy Spirit moved in. When they finally came to a point where they went from clenched fists to open hands, that's when the Holy Spirit moved and did something. And although this gap is a space of surrender, it also helps set the stage for the deepest work of the Holy Spirit. Sacrifice is scary, but it's also where some of the best work is done. This gap is where we meet sanctifying grace. It's a place where we're transformed from default mode to the kind of people that have a bold proclamation like Peter. It helps us to go from fishermen to fishers of men. That is what sanctifying grace does in our lives. And it's ongoing. It's not just going to happen in a moment. It really is a journey. And this morning, I don't know where you were at. I don't know what kind of things you've experienced on your journey. I know some of your stories. I know some places where some of you may be at. But for all of us, we're faced with this gap between what happens at salvation and what happens at the end of our earthly lives. We could stand around and go, well, what now from that moment on? Or we could lean into the sanctifying grace of God and surrender our past, our present, and our future to allow him to take us to places that we never thought possible. And the choice really is ours. It's, it's, it's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of holding on to our own ambitions, holding on to the control, or releasing it. Pastor Chad's going to play a song. He's going to sing a song. And as he does so, I want us just to take a posture this morning of prayer. I don't know where you're at in this journey, but I know this. I know that God is, is continually refining me. He's continually saying, have you really surrendered that to me? And I want you to take a moment and during this song and, and just pray. Ask the Lord to search you. What is it that you're holding on to like this? And as you pray... If you would, indulge me. As you pray, I want you to start your hands in fists like this. But as you pray, I want you to release those hands as a symbol of you releasing and surrendering 
to God the things that you know may be holding you back. Or maybe the things that you don't know that you're holding back, but you still know that you need to surrender. As Pastor Chad plays and sings, I want to just invite you into that posture of prayer this morning.